You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Well, I hope that you came this morning not expecting to hear a TED Talk or an inspired Dr. Phil counseling session. But I hope that you came today to hear a word from God directly to you. Uh, I hope you came with an expectant attitude because the truth is that we get out of something what we put into it. And I hope you came ready with expectancy. You know, I'm not, I'm not one to really reminisce and, and think back about the good old days and how things used to be. One of the reasons is because I believe that our best days are not behind us, but our best days are still ahead. See, that's just a test. I just want to see if you came expectant. Let me say it one more time. What I said is that our best days are not behind us, but our best days are still ahead. And if you believe that, because here's the thing, if you believe that your best days are behind you, you got nothing left to live for. But if your best days are still ahead, that's something to get excited about and to make some noise about. I'm just trying to pump you up, because here's the thing, I got a sermon that I'm going to give you, and it's not a TED Talk. I'm not Dr. Phil about to sit down on the couch with you and just say, how's it going for you? No, but I have a word directly from God that I want to plant into your heart, but I believe you'll only receive it if you're ready for it. Are you ready? All right, good. Now, like I said, I'm not one to reminisce about the good old days and how things used to be because, again, I just believe that our best days are still ahead. I tried to set it up for you, but also... Uh, I don't really reminisce about the good old days because I'm not that old. I mean, I'm 34 years old, so I still got some time to get older before I can start doing that. But, um, but I, I do start to feel old when I, when I look back on the days of yesteryear and, and I think about the sad fact that there is an entire generation that's growing up right now that has never heard this sound. Come on. Okay, we can cut that off. That's annoying. Now, for some of you, you're like, what? What is that? Is that a fax machine? What is a fax machine? I don't even know. But it blows me away. There's an entire generation that has no idea what dial-up is. How many of y'all were around when dial-up was, was yeah, AOL, right? And, and, and that was the day where you had to pay by the hour for how much time you spent on the internet. And I don't know about you, but I tried to get my hands on as many AOL discs as I could to get those free hours, you know what I'm talking about? And then you go on AIM. And you try and meet somebody, and so you type in ASL, and you're like, what? No, not American Sign Language, but you're trying to get to know somebody. Um, There's a whole generation that has no idea what any of that's about. It blows me away to know that there's a whole generation that has no idea what it's like to look forward to go to Blockbuster on a Friday night to pick out your movie. And I'm not talking about on DVD, I'm talking about on VHS, right? Come on, be kind, rewind. Whole generation has no idea what that's about. There's a whole generation growing up today that has no idea how much of the struggle, how much of a struggle it is to make your own mixtape, listening to the radio, and you got a blank cassette tape in there, and you're waiting for that song to come on. As soon as you hear it, you hit record on your little tape player, and and you get part of the DJ in the beginning of the song, introducing the song, and you get them at the end of the song. Whole generation has no idea what it's like 
to make their own mixtape on a cassette tape. It blows me away. You know, I feel old when I'm telling somebody about Nirvana and they're like, why are you talking about Buddhism? I thought you were a Christian. I'm like, no, 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 Nirvana. Like one of the best bands of all time. Come on now, here we are now. Entertain us, right? Like blows me away. Whole generation. And, and because of that, I just, I, I feel old now. When I look back at all that I've been through, it blows me away that there's a whole generation growing up today that has never listened to music on an eight track. And uh, that's me. I've never listened. I'm not that old. Just saying. I'm not, <laughs> that's not me. But, but it's crazy when I look back and I just think, man, of, of all the things that, that have happened in my life and the things that I've got to see and experience, and, and you know, I don't know how the young whippersnappers do it today, but, but maybe, maybe like today they just swipe right on a screen or they send a text message to somebody. But I remember back in the day when, when you wanted to date somebody, right? Like there was a certain protocol that you had to go through to, to see if they liked you. It was like, you go talk to your friends, talk to my friends, talk to me, right? There was this chain. I'm a terrible singer, by the way, but I don't care. But there was this chain, like you, you like, hey, I'm kind of digging on that girl. And then your friends go talk to her friends. And then, and then they talk to her. And then she kind of sends it back. And you find out, does she like me or not? And if she likes me, you know, I'll go talk to her. But there was this whole protocol, on asking somebody out. And, and one of the most direct ways, probably the most classic way, is to just send them a note, right? And, and when you send them a note, like, you couldn't just fold it regular, like, you couldn't just fold it in half and fold it in half and give it to them, but you had to make origami with this note. There was a certain way you had to write this note, and then in this note, you, you'd put, do you like me? Check yes or no. And if you were new to the game, You'd write maybe. You're sabotaging yourself because then they don't have to commit. You want to write yes or no. What was worse, though, is if she wrote maybe. Because then it's like, that didn't help me out. I'm more confused now than I ever was. And so this is, this is how we would ask people out. We'd write a note. Do you like me? Yes or no? And, and, and so much has, has changed now. But, but even though dating has changed and even though technology has changed, uh, I, I, think, I think a lot of us, still go about dating with the mindset of middle schoolers. E even though we've come a long way and, and maybe you don't ask somebody out the same way, for, for a lot of us, when it comes to dating, we go about it, we approach it with the mindset of middle schoolers. We're, we're in the midst of the series called You Plus Me Equals Awesome. And it's my hope in this series to ensure that we have awesome relationships. Because nobody says, man, I hope my relationships suck, right? Like, we all want to have awesome, amazing relationships. But, but oftentimes, when we think about our dating relationships, um, we describe them as anything but awesome. We describe them as, as dramatic. We describe them as, as hectic, chaotic. We describe them as, well, it's complicated, right? And what I want to do in this series is I want to help us have awesome, amazing relationships. Last week we talked about being single, and we said that if you're single, you're not really single. The truth is you're on reserve for one who deserves, right? Today, as we talk about dating, you're not dating. Here's what you really are, and this is my title. If you take a moment to write it down in your program, uh, my title for this sermon is this. You're uh, going steady and getting ready, Going steady and getting ready. If we could have the house lights come up, we'll uh, let you go ahead and write that down in your program. But if you're dating, you're going steady and getting ready. But uh, like I said, so often in our dating relationships, 
we're clueless and we're trying to figure this out as we go. Like, like here's what happens in dating. Dating is an interesting phenomenon in our culture. Uh, what often happens is um, you'll see somebody who looks cute or, or they got a nice smile or, or maybe you see somebody in an office function or uh, you start working at a new place and you discover that, um, that there's this girl, right? And you're like, oh man, she has a really great body. I mean, personality. And um, I want to I wanna get to know her more. And so you ask her out, maybe, maybe on a date, maybe for coffee, maybe for, for drinks, whatever it is. And so you ask her out and you're like, yeah, I want to get to know you more. And then you guys, you hit it off, you laugh, you have fun. And, and then you start dating. All right. So, so often in our culture, what happens is we meet somebody, we see that they're cute, and then we start dating them. And it's in the dating process that we get to know somebody, that, that we ask them questions, we find out what their, their favorite color is. <laughs> Maybe not as adults, but we find out all sorts of different things about them. We get to know about them, and, and, and we're discovering, do we like this person? Are we a match? Are we compatible? And it's in this dating relationship that we're trying to figure this out. Are we compatible? Are we good with one another? But it's also in this relationship that we start holding hands. We start kissing. We start hugging. Uh, it, it's in this relationship where we're trying to figure out, are we a match? Do I like this person? Should we be together? It's in this phase we're trying to figure this out that 97% of people, 80% of Christians, will start having sex in their dating relationship. 80% of Christians will have sex with the person that they're dating in this phase where they're still trying to figure out, do I even like you? Do you see how backwards that is? Like, I don't even know if we're compatible. I don't even know if I like you, but let's have sex. 80% of Christians jump to this action in a dating relationship. And then what happens is we find out after a couple weeks, after a couple months, maybe after a few years, that I don't even like you. And then we break up. And then, and then there's this, this big heartbreak that takes place because now we've shared our body with this person. We've been intimate with this person. We've become one with this person. And then we rip that apart and our heart is broken. And then often what happens is we go into a rebound relationship where we pick up the broken pieces of our heart, we put it in a wheelbarrow, and then we take it on to the next person. And then we start dating them. We don't even know them, but we'll have sex with them. And then we realize, I don't even like you either. And then we break up, and then the cycle continues. And then we wonder, how come, how come I can't find somebody? Like, why am I so unlucky? Why is it that love is a battlefield and I go from heartache to heartache? And so what I wanna do is I wanna help us have happy, healthy dating relationships. But in order to do that, we need to start with understanding uh, the, the, the levels of relationships that we have. First, I wanna take you uh, to this passage that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Uh, if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. We're gonna start reading in verse 10. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 10. One of the words here on the screen. Also, if you're following along in the Bible app, um, it's right there as well. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the Apostle Paul, Paul was this guy who lived 2,000 years ago. He became a Christian and he started churches all over the known world. Now, at first, Paul made it his mission to destroy the church. He, he, he hated Christians. He, he didn't um, believe uh, in Jesus, that he was the son of God. But then he met Jesus, had this powerful experience, uh, became a Christian, uh, gave his life to Jesus and started churches all over the known world. He starts this church in the city of Corinth and then he keeps in touch with them because he goes on to start other churches through writing letters to them. 
And he writes him all these letters, and they ask him questions, and he gives them answers. And one of the letters he writes to them, we actually have, and it's in the Bible. It's First Corinthians chapter. Uh, it's First Corinthians, and in chapter seven, he talks to this church about relationships. And and here's what he says in First Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten. He said, "To the married, I give this command: not I, but the Lord." What he's saying here is, um, okay, so for everybody who's married, here's what God says. He says, I'm not saying this. This is a command from God. For the married, I give this command. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, the, the, there's, there's so much nuance here and detail here uh, that I don't have time to get into. That's, that's a whole other sermon. But he's saying, okay, here's, here's what I got for married people. And then he says this in verse 12. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. So he said, now, for everybody else who's single and dating, uh, I'm just going to share my opinion with you. I'm going to give you some advice. It's not a command from God, but it's coming from me. But, but then he caveats that by saying this, and in my judgment, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So he's saying, okay, for everybody else, single, dating, and, and stuff like that, I'm going to give you my advice and my opinion. It's not a command from God, but just want to keep in mind, I too have the Spirit of God. I think I know what I'm talking about. This is what Paul is saying. So I want to approach today as we talk about dating really from the spirit of Paul where uh, if you're dating, there's some principles of God and some commands of God that you need to keep. Um, But some of what I want to share with you really is just uh, my experience as a pastor and what I've seen in other people's lives, the heartbreak, the, the drama that I've seen in dating relationships, the, um, the aftermath of, of marriages that probably should have never happened, but because they didn't get this dating stuff right, rushed into a lifelong decision they weren't prepared for and ready for, and it, and it either ended in divorce or uh, it's, it's a, a marriage that's on the rocks, and if they could go back and do it all over again, they would. And so I just want to look at some people's experience. Um, I want to look at the wisdom from our own lives and see how should we go about dating someone. Ultimately, how should we approach this whole phase of a relationship where we're going steady and getting ready? Because that's what we're doing. We're getting ready for marriage in the dating relationship. Now, before we talk about dating, I, I think we need to understand the different layers of relationships. Because there's different layers of relationships. And and I'm gonna talk to you about uh, the different layers of relationships that could lead to a romantic relationship, to a marriage. Because of that, I'm not gonna talk about family. Family is a completely different thing. Uh, There's different layers in our family relationship. But I'm just talking about uh, layers of a relationship that could get romantic. And hopefully you're not trying to get romantic with someone in your family, right? Unless you're from Kentucky or West Virginia, then I got nothing for you. but actually, you know what? Um, I, find, I find this fascinating. Um, I was doing some research because I always think that's funny to joke people from West Virginia and Kentucky, um, like, hey, you, you get to marry your first cousin. But I found out that it is actually illegal to marry your first cousin in Kentucky or West Virginia. So I've been joking the wrong people all along. Do you know where it's legal to marry your first cousin? In Virginia. We, we are the backwards ones. <laughs> Right for, now, for some of you, this opens up options for you. You're like, "Wow, 
didn't know that. <laughs> hey, Sheila. Um, anyway, but so I'm not talking about family relationships, but I'm talking about relationships that could get romantic. And I guess here in Virginia, it could be family, but we're not talking about family. So there are different layers to relationships. Uh, there, there are these concentric circles to relationships. And so there's, there's you in the center, and the furthest people from you are strangers. These are people you don't know. Uh, strangers, and then there's acquaintances, and then there's friends, and then there's best friends, and then boyfriend, girlfriend, and then marriage, husband, wife, right? So these are the concentric circles of relationships. And I just want to go through each layer real quickly um, to talk through the boundaries that we should have in these relationships because you should have boundaries with people in your relationships. There are some people who don't have boundaries and they find it difficult to have boundaries. And if you want more on boundaries, I highly recommend a book called Boundaries uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud and uh, John Townsend. Uh, but it's a great book just on how to set up boundaries in your life. Um, but the first layer, people who are furthest from us are strangers, right? Th these are people that we don't know. Uh, these are people that we don't have any obligation to. Uh, we don't owe them anything. Our interaction with strangers ultimately is to love them, to be kind with them, to share Jesus with them, right? This, this is our interaction with strangers, people that we don't know. Now, they can move from strangers to acquaintances, but we have no obligation toward strangers, but we want to be loving and kind toward people that we don't know. Also, uh, we need to understand this, um, that we shouldn't have sex with strangers, right? Uh, that's a weird thing to say. Maybe it's a weird thing to hear. Like we teach kids, don't talk to strangers, don't take candy from strangers, but I think we need to teach adults, don't have sex with strangers, right? Um, and maybe you're like, wait, why do you even need to say that? It's because people do this. Like there's this hookup culture where you meet somebody, you don't even know them, and you have sex with them because you're hooking up with them. Or maybe you have a one night stand, you go to a bar, you go to a club, you meet somebody you don't even know and you have sex with a stranger. And, and, and what often happens is people try and reduce sex down to the, just this physical activity. But, but the problem is sex isn't just this physical activity. I, I listened to a podcast recently that talked about the hookup culture and how uh, people just have sex just to have sex. I don't really know you, I don't really care about you, but let's have sex. And um, it, it, it's this thing that's going on in our society where people uh, try to get as many people on their list as they can. People try to satisfy themselves and ultimately live for themselves. But even though um, hooking up with somebody isn't supposed to be emotional or, or hurtful, it's just supposed to be physical because after all, it's just sex. What they found is that Sex isn't just sex. And this wasn't from a Christian podcast. This is from a, a, a secular humanist podcast where um, they just discovered after interviewing people and talking with people that there was, there was hurt and there was pain and there was brokenness that came with just hooking up with people, strangers, to have sex. And so just write this down in your notes. Don't have sex with strangers, all right? I want to I take a moment real quick just to talk about sex because it's fun. And, and also, because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with this. See, oftentimes we get sex wrong in that we take it out of the relationship that it was designed for. Uh, see, sometimes we think, well, sex is just physical. It's just this, this act that we do. But it's not. Sex is so much more than just physical. Sex is emotional. Sex is spiritual. 
Like when God created sex, you, you do know that God created sex, right? Like sex was not something that people created. Some guy wasn't just sitting, sitting around one day thinking, oh, if I put that in there and wiggle it around, it feels good. Like no, that, like people didn't create sex, but God is the one who created sex. He tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, he says, be fruitful and multiply. You know what you gotta do to be fruitful and multiply? If you don't, talk to your parents about it. <laughs> Sorry they never had that conversation with you. But God is the one who created sex. He designed sex and he made sex to be the way that it is. And God is the creator, the designer, the originator of sex. God has forgotten way more about sex than you and I know. And I know that sometimes maybe you think you're an expert because you had those experience back in colleges or back in college and there was that time in the back seat where you were, and I know you're like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty pro at this, but God is the designer of sex. He's the creator of sex. And anytime God says something about sex, our ears should perk up because we're hearing from the designer, the creator, the originator of sex. And here's what we discover about sex and the way that it was designed. That sex was designed to unite two people to make them one. This is what Paul teaches the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. He says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So the idea here is this, that when you become a Christian, when you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, you say, I believe that. And because I believe that, that there is a God who loves me, who sent his son to die for me, that changes everything in my life. Like, I can't just believe that and be like, oh yeah, that's nice, and then go about my life. No, that changes everything. Wait, 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 there's a God who really loves me? Who, who, who forgave me of everything so that I could have relationship with him? He, he came so that I might have life and life to the full? That changes everything. Because I believe that, I'm gonna give my life to him. I wanna live for him, I wanna follow him, I wanna make him the leader of my life. I wanna go his way. Because I've been going my way, and my way has gotten me where I am, and I don't want to be here. So I'm going to change some stuff, and I'm going to follow him because I want to be where he's calling me to be. So when we believe in Jesus, when we follow him, we give him our life, and we're baptized into him, we're immersed in the waters, we go in an old creation, we come out a brand new creation, our old self passes away, our new self is reborn. When this happened, the scriptures teach us that Jesus, the Spirit of God, comes to live inside of us. So if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So while I'm living, it's not me living anymore, but it's like Jesus living in me. And this is the, the understanding that Paul is operating from. He says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You have Jesus living in you. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He says, never. Like, would I take Jesus who's living in me and unite my body, the body of Christ living in me with a prostitute? Never. And then he says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is said the two will become 
one flesh. Now listen, this is what happens in sex. And I don't want you to get caught up on this whole prostitute thing because if, if I were like, hey, yeah, you probably shouldn't sleep with prostitutes, most of us would be like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so don't get caught up on that and don't be like, I would never do that. No, no, no. I don't want you to miss the, the greater principle here. What Paul is saying here is that when you have sex with someone, not just a prostitute, but anyone. So you could substitute this. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a stranger, with an acquaintance, do you not know that a person who unites themselves with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their husband or wife, do you not know that, that when you unite yourself, when you have sex with someone, you are one with them in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So when God created sex, he created it to be the glue to join two people together. And the problem when we take sex outside of its proper context is that we're engaging in an act inside of a relationship that cannot hold the weight of what we're doing. See, when you have sex with someone, you become one with that person. You are united. You are intertwined. Not just physically, that's a great picture there, but emotionally and spiritually, you are one with that person. And if you engage in that with a stranger, you've become one with somebody that you haven't made a commitment to be one with. If you engage in that with a, an acquaintance, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with, with, with somebody other than your husband and wife, or husband or wife, <laughs> um, wanna make that clear, um, then you're engaging in something inside of a relationship that can't hold the weight of what you're doing. It's only in marriage where two people, if, if we're gonna do this God's way, it's only in marriage where two people have said, uh, I will be with you for the rest of my life because this is, this is what marriage is. Now our society messes this up, our culture messes this up, we mess this up, but this is God's design for marriage where two people come together and they say, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, through the good and the bad, I commit to be with you for the rest of my life. We are entering into a covenant relationship to become one. This is what marriage is. It's a covenant, a commitment where two people say we're gonna operate as one. And as two people operating as one, what that means is I'm gonna lay my life down for you. I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna sacrifice for you, I'm going to live for you. And when two people do that for one another, this is a beautiful picture of marriage. This is how marriage was designed to be. The problem is when one person does it and the other doesn't. The, the, the problem is when we enter into this covenant with divorce uh, as an ace up our sleeves. Well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just see what happens. The problem is when we enter into this relationship just so we can get paid more by the military. Right? The, the, the problem is when we don't enter into this relationship through God's standards, then we end up, and so that's why I, I, I have to clarify all this because what happens is sometimes we say, well, not my marriage, or that's not how it's, but this is how God designed it to be. And because of sin, because we often don't do this well, we end up with heartbreak, we end up experiencing the nightmare that we have, we end up with this pain in our life. And for many of you who've gone through a divorce, I wanna let you know God loves you. I'm glad you're here. But God never intended that for you. God intended something so much better for you. And I'm sorry for the pain that you've experienced. 
And God's desire is that you never would have experienced that pain. But if you're divorced, that's not who you are. That's something that happened in your life and you can get up, you can brush it off. And I don't, I don't mean to say that like flippantly, but you can heal from this, you can get past this. And that is not who you are. So oftentimes what we do is we describe ourselves our identity based on what happened to us as opposed to who we really are. I'm an alcoholic. How long have you been sober? Five years. No, no, no. You were an alcoholic. You're not now. You've been redeemed. I'm divorced. No, no, no. You got divorced, but that's not who you are. That's not your identity. Do you see what I'm saying? So, what happens though, so God has designed marriage. It's a commitment, a covenant between two people to become one. It's only inside this relationship that sex can happen the way God designed it to be because sex was designed to bring two people into one. If you begin to have sex outside of marriage, then what happens is you're engaging in something where you're becoming one with someone and they've no, made no commitment to be one with you. So if you're dating and you're having sex, there's nothing to say that he can't leave you and your heart is broken, you're ripped apart. See, I, I, I mentioned this last week, I just think it's a powerful analogy, so I wanna say it again. Uh, sex is a lot like fire, right? Your sex is on fire, just, you know. Right, old song, I probably got it wrong. Anyway, so sex is a lot like fire. Fire is beautiful, it's brilliant, it's strong, it's amazing. And in the right context of a fireplace, it's a good thing. But when you take fire out of the fireplace and build it on your living room floor, if we're talking about sex, that's a different thing, but a fire, actual literal fire, uh, <laughs> then that's destructive and that's damaging. So when we take sex outside of the context of marriage, it's damaging and it's destructive. So I mention all that about sex just so I don't have to go over it in each layer of our relationships. But the first layer of our relationships is strangers. These are people we don't really know. And again, we shouldn't have sex with strangers. The next layer is acquaintances. And these are people who, um, like we kind of know, we kind of hang out a little bit, but, and we talk to them a little bit, but, but we don't know them that well. These are acquaintances. Uh, the next layer are friends. And these are people we spend more time with. These are people that we hang out with more, that we confide in, we can handle feedback from them because we know that they love us ultimately. Um, these are people that we're close with. And it's our friends that go on to shape and mold who we will become. That's why it's so critical to choose your friends wisely. Because if you don't choose your friends wisely, then what Benjamin Franklin wrote in Poor Richard's Almanac is so true, that those who lie down with the dogs will wake up with fleas. It's about how you choose your friends. I think the proverb writer wrote it best when he said this in Proverbs um, chapter seven, verse 20. Here's what he said. Or, I'm sorry, Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. If you uh, wanna be somebody different, look at your friends and ask the question, are my friends helping me get where I'm trying to go or are they bringing me down? Because you will be the average of your five closest friends. 
Some of you today might need to get new friends. It might be time to say you're dragging me down a wrong path and it's not your fault, it's my fault. I'm not strong enough to not go there, but I'm the one surrounding myself with uh, rascals like you. So I gotta, I gotta get out of here. But we gotta choose right friends. I don't know why I said rascals. That's something like my high school English teacher would have said. But so we have strangers, acquaintances, friends, and then we graduate from friends to best friends. And this is interesting um, because your best friend is somebody who you spend a lot of time with. They know you. You love being around this person. It's really weird though because sometimes people say I have multiple best friends, which I don't get that because it's like, well, then who's the bestest best friend? But so we have best friends. And then from best friends, you have your boyfriend or girlfriend, the person that you're dating. And really it's in this phase that you should be uh, looking toward marriage. Man, we're dating and we're on our way towards getting married. Because if that's not the case, then your dating relationship, ultimately it's going to end up in one of two places. You're either going to break up or you're going to get married. Or you're going to stay dating forever. And if that's the case, it's like, dude, put a ring on it. Come on. Right? But... There's dating and then there's marriage. I'm going to talk more about marriage next week. But oftentimes when it comes to dating, now that we understand these different layers of relationships, here's what we do. We often see somebody, uh, they're a stranger, they're an acquaintance, we like them, they look cute, whatever, we want to get to know them more. And what we often do is we skip the friendship stage and we just go right to dating. How long have you guys known each other? Oh, like two weeks and you're dating? Yeah, we're getting to know one another. Wait, 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 but like that's what friendship is for. Like oftentimes, and and, and, uh, this is why we experience such heartbreak in dating, we skip the friendship stage and we move to dating and we start doing dating couple things, but we're also trying to get to know one another. And then we just realize, oh, you know what? We've been, we've been uh, spending all this time with one another. We've been kissing. We've been maybe having sex if, if we're not going to follow God's way. And I don't even like you. And then we break up and there's this heartbreak. And then again, we go on to the next person, same thing. And we keep on in this cycle trying to find this mythical, magical unicorn of a person who's going to complete us or make us happy. And it's because we skipped that friendship stage that a lot of our dating relationships end up looking a lot like a Taylor Swift song, right? I mean, we, we, we don't know one another. You look cute. Let's start dating. We skipped the friendship stage. Now we're dating and we got some stuff to work out and we're trying to figure it out and we're having a fight right now and we're asking ourselves, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods? And the answer is no. We still got to figure this out, but we don't even know each other. You know what? I don't even like you. So we break up. And then after we break up, we start to reminisce about that person. And we think, you know what? That person was mean. And all you ever be is mean. And then we don't even talk to one another anymore. You know why? Because now we got bad blood. Right? And then, and then here's the thing. I know you want to get back with me, but we are never, ever, ever... Yeah, because I don't like you anymore. And I would have saved myself so much heartache if we were just friends at first. But now I have this long list of people I dated. And here's the thing. I got a blank space, baby. And I'll write your name. And so we add them to the list of all the people that we broke up with. And then afterwards, we try our best to shake it off. Shake it off. Hey, hey, hey. 
We do our best to do that, but it doesn't work. And sometimes we get pushed so much to the point where we end up doing something we regret. And then we say, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look just what, something like that. Right. That's all the Taylor Swift references I have. But when we skip, I thought that was really good. This friendship stage it leads to so much disappointment, so much heartbreak, so much of a Taylor Swift song. But what if, what if we approach dating and we say, you know what? We're gonna be friends first. And I'm not talking about, oh yeah, we were friends for like a week. (laughs) We were friends for like a month. No, I'm talking about, what if we said, we're gonna be friends for months. We're going to be friends for a year. We're going to be friends for years. And it's in this period of our relationship that we're going to get to know one another. I'm going to figure out, are you the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? Do we want to be with one another? Because if it doesn't work out, we stay friends. Because that's all we were. What if we just said, let's be friends. But I want to be your girlfriend. I don't even know you. I just met you two days ago. Let's be friends first. What if we said, okay, we got strangers, acquaintances, man, this friendship part is so huge. Let's be friends. Let's get to know one another. But that's not how it works. I know the way that it works is Taylor Swift songs. That's how it works. The way it works is heartbreak and pain. You can look back in your, in your past relationships and see the rubble. What if we said, let's do this differently. Let's be friends. And as we're friends, we become best friends. And things are grooving along, and I'm looking at you as my best friend. I'm like, man, I think I could marry this person. Because you know who you want to marry? Your best friend. You want the person that you marry one day to be your best friend. So why not go through these relationships as they were designed to be? Strangers, acquaintance, friends, best friends. Man, I couldn't imagine living my life without you. I think, I think we, should, we should get married one day. Let's start dating. How about that? And when we date, we're going to set up boundaries because we're going to pursue purity. We're going to do this God's way, but we're going to be going steady and getting ready for the relationship that's going to come. How much different would our relationships be if we refused to skip the friend stage and got to know people before we entered into the dating relationship where we get to know them and then uh, break up and there's this heartbreak that takes place? So I want to encourage you, as you go about dating, um, to be friends first. And maybe some of you are already dating, and you need to have a conversation where you say, you know, we skipped this whole friendships thing, uh, this friendship thing. Let's go back to being friends. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. That'd be so... Why not? You skipped it. Go back to being friends. Get to know one another. And if you really like one another, then you get back together and start dating. If you don't like one another, you'll realize that, and then you made a great decision, right? It's a win-win. Maybe you're dating somebody now, and, and now's the time where you just say, I think we took this too fast. Let's, let's scale back and be friends. H- how much different would our relationships look? Because ultimately, when you're dating, you're going steady and getting ready. You know, as I, as I talk with uh, couples who are in the process of getting married, they're engaged. They'll come to me and say, hey, can you do our wedding? I'll say, sure. 
Uh, sometimes they'll say, can you marry us? And I'm like, I'm already married. So uh, that's weird. But I'll say, I'll do your wedding for you. Um, but I'll meet with them and I'll ask them, hey, are you doing premarital counseling? And, they'll, and most of the times they'll say yes or no, it, it, it's whatever. Um, and I say, listen, I highly recommend that you do premarital counseling because you're gonna spend so much money on this one day, your wedding day, but this is a small investment in your future. Because I've met couples who have gone through premarital counseling and the counselor said, you should not get married. And they held off their wedding for an entire year. They continued to go to counseling. The counselor still said, you should not get married. They said, we're doing it anyway. They got married and within a year they got divorced could have saved themselves a whole lot of heartache if they had just listened to the wisdom that was provided to them. I know couples who get married and uh, they say, man, we didn't know it was like this. And they, there's all these problems that they have. There's, there's all these fights that take place. But a lot of that could have been worked through and talked through if they had gone through premarital counseling. Now, I don't offer premarital counseling, but I do suggest uh, for people to go to a professional counselor to get that done. But I do talk with couples who are in the process of, of getting married, and I say, okay, well, one thing you need to do is agree on these six things. And I want to give you these six things so that you can talk about these in your relationships. And so if you're dating, here's your homework. You're going to talk about these six things. You're going to get on the same page about these six things. If you're married, you're going to talk about these six things. And maybe these are conversations you've been longing to have in your marriage, and now you have an excuse to do it. Now you can go back and be like, hey, honey, you know how the pastor was saying we got to talk about these six things? Well, how about we talk about it? So you could just use me as an excuse, like, we have to talk about it. He should. He's great in it next week. So um, anyway, so we should agree. We should get on the same page about these six things. And for some of you uh, who maybe have failed or broken relationships, dating relationships, whatever, you can look back and you can say, oh yeah, that was it. That was the thing. That was the downfall for us. So the first thing you, that you need to get on the same page about is this, is money. 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 Aside from infidelity, the second cause for divorce in America, according to marriage.com, is uh, fights about money and money problems not being on the same page about money. And so before you get married, you should get on the same page about money. You need to ask questions like this. Whose money is it? Is it his money, her money, my money, our money? Is it your bills, my bills, our bills? Who pays for what? Do we have uh, two separate accounts? Do we have the same account? How do we operate? By the way, if I could just give you a little bit of advice, when you stand before the preacher and he says, and now the two of you are one, that is in everything. So I'd encourage you to not just say my money, your money, your bills, my bills, but our bills, our money, our account. We are now one. Um, also, when it comes to uh, el eliminating money from being a, a problem that you fight over, uh, one of the best things that you can do, if you're going to get on the same page about money as this, you sit down together and you create a A, bu bu a budget. <coughs> oh, that's tough. You sit down and you create a budget. You get on the same page. Here's where our money is going next month. Here's how much money we have coming in. Here's, here's where it's going next month. You spend this. I spend this. We're all on the same page. Good. You get in fights when, honey, I saw that you bought $5,000 in shoes this month. Wait, 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 but we agreed to it. Okay, yeah, you're right. Kind of an exaggeration. But you get on the same page about money. The way that you do that is to create a budget. It's, it's one of the most sexiest moments you'll ever have in your marriage. Um, but you get on the same page 
about money. The next one is you get on the same page about in-laws. 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 So the question is, okay, if your mom has a problem with me, who's going to talk to her about it? Like, do I have to say something about it or are you going to say something to her about it? Are you going to stand up to her or do I need to? Because I don't want to be that wife. Okay, your parents want us to come up for Christmas. My parents want us to come up for Christmas. What are we doing? Are we going to do both of it or are we going to do our own Christmas? Are we going to go to your parents one, one year and then are my parents next and then do our own thing? What are we going to do? We got to get on the same page about in-laws. If I got a problem with somebody, are you going to talk to them about it? What's going on? You got to set up boundaries with your in-laws. Mom, I know I appreciate it, but she does a great job with our kids. Please stop criticizing. Are you going to stand up? Are you going to say something? You got to get on the same page regarding in-laws. Because the truth is, uh, the girl you're marrying might be cute, but her family's ugly. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about their attitude. And the truth is, you marry into that. They kind of come along with the package. So you got to talk about in-laws, how we're going to deal with that. The next is kids. Kids. Do we want to have kids? Do we not want to have kids? I want to have one kid. You want to have nine kids. How many are we going to have? Like, where's... Where's the compromise? We've got to get on the same page about kids. How are we going to raise our kids? Are we going to spank our kids or are we not going to spank our kids? Who's going to be the disciplinarian? Are we going to both be the, dis- be, be the disciplinarian? Um, are we going to be on the same team so that when, when our kid goes to me and asks me for something and then they come to you and I say no and they come to you, are you going to say yeah? Are we going to be on the same page about that? Are we going to fight about it? What's up? So you've got to get on the same page when it comes to kids. Um, another question you need to answer when it comes to kids is this is are we going to be husband and wife first or mom and dad first? I'd recommend you say we're going to be husband and wife first. The reason is because those little hellions are going to be out of your house after the age of 18, hopefully. Some of y'all are still at home at 37. Get out, please for the sake of your parents and your sake. I don't know I'm talking to you. Um, but, you know, and we go through stuff and we got to go back home sometimes. That happens. But the thing is, your kids are going to be out of your life after a while, but you're stuck with the person you married. And what happens sometimes in marriages is people go from husband and wife to mom and dad. And then 18 years later, they wake up and look at each other and they say, I don't even know who you are. So you got to be husband and wife before mom and dad. This is kids. The next is roles. Roles. Who does what? How do we operate? Um, you would be amazed at how many times World War III breaks out in a home because somebody didn't turn the lights off. Right? Pe- people are about to go to blows over how you dispense toothpaste. Do you do it from the bottom like you're supposed to do, or do you just squeeze anywhere on the tube? Who, who takes the trash out? Who does the dishes? Because here's the thing. My dad just always, and my mom just always, and I thought my wife would always, and I thought my husband would just be the kind of person who, you got to go over roles and how to live together. Because if not, it's amazing how many people fight and argue over housekeeping. Like, this is what we're fighting about. So roles, you got to get on the same page about roles. Next is sex. I already talked about sex, but it's so fun. So here's the thing with sex. Before you get married, you got to talk about sex. Um, what, do you, 
What are you hoping for? What are you expecting? Are you okay with this? Are you not okay with this? How often are you, are you hoping that we'll have sex? Um, do you have any past experience in this? Um, are you currently looking at pornography? Have you looked at pornography? Is this going to be something that's going to be taken into our marriage? You got to get on the same page about this because if you don't talk about this, it's going to become an issue. What boundaries are we going to set up in our marriage so that pornography doesn't come in? What boundaries are we going to set up in our marriage so that we can affair-proof this marriage? You got to talk about this before you get married. You got to get on the same page about sex. And then finally is spirituality. Spirituality. The question is, what do we believe about God? How are we going to live? Um, is the house of God going to be a priority in our life or is it not? Is, is the house of God going to be a priority uh, in our kids' lives or is it not? And ultimately, we're the ones who lead the way. We've got to get on the same page about spirituality. What do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about giving? What do we believe about serving? You'd be amazed at how many people I talk with who this, this is an issue for them. I, I believe, but my husband doesn't. I want to give, but he says no. My husband doesn't understand why I serve or why I come early like I do. They're not on the same page. And it's got to be heartbreaking because here's this person that you share your life with, but you don't have the same central, just, you don't have the same central thing in common. You're following Jesus and they're not. And you end up in two different places. I mean, we get it in geography. If I head in one direction and somebody else heads in another direction, we're going to end up in two different places. In the same way, if you're following Jesus and she isn't, you're going to end up in two different places because Jesus is going to lead you somewhere in your life. And you're going to be split apart. But marriage was designed so that the two of you would be one. Because of that, you have to get on the same page about spirituality. And if you're a Christian, you should just make it your standard where you say, I am going to date and marry someone who loves Jesus just as much as I do. If not, we're going to end up in two different places. It's not fair for you if you're a Christian to marry somebody who isn't a Christian because you're going to end up in two different places. It's not fair for you if you're not a Christian to marry somebody who is a Christian because you're going to keep hearing them talk about their Jesus all the time. It's going to get on your nerves. So we've got to be on the same page about spirituality. I don't know where you are in your relationship, but my hope is that I've given you some practical things to talk through in your marriage, in your dating relationship. My hope is that you'll look at the continuum of relationships and see if you're skipping any steps, see what you need to do differently. But ultimately, my hope is that if you are dating, you'd have a happy, healthy dating relationship because what you're doing is you're going steady and getting ready. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.